This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. So a lot has happened since my last episode. I left corporate industry and uh, joined Abe AI. Abe is a startup from Florida building artificial intelligence solutions for personal finance, supporting both banks and people with their money via conversational and natural experience through the many channels they are used to, such as Facebook Messenger, mobile app, SMS, but also smart speakers like Google Home and Amazon Alexa. I'm recording this episode from South Africa, exactly in Cape Town, as we are currently in the Barclays Accelerator program powered by Techstars, putting our artificial intelligence expertise to the test in the complex financial environments of uh, corporations like Barclays and their affiliates. I'm personally having a lot of fun tackling really challenging problems in uh, financial analytics and advanced machine learning on one side, but also more uh, artificial intelligence related problems, typically in the field of uh, natural language processing or NLP, which is exactly what I planned for this episode, speaking about artificial intelligence, specifically deep learning applied to natural language processing. So over the past few years, we have seen neural networks as, you know, they re-emerged as powerful machine learning models, reaching almost everywhere state-of-the-art results. And almost everywhere, I mean, specifically for image recognition and uh, speech processing. More recently, however, uh, neural network models started to be applied also to textual data in order to deal with natural language. And also in that field, they are showing promising results. For a long time, core uh, natural language processing techniques have been dominated by machine learning approaches that are more based on uh, statistics or probability and function optimization. I'm referring to linear models such as support vector machines or logistic regression that are trained over high-dimensional data and most of the time sparse feature vectors. But in contrast, neural networks are non-linear objects and since there are a lot of non-linearities in, uh, in uh, complex languages, like those spoken and written by humans, this explains why neural networks are showing such promising results. Now, with this said, of course, a lot needs to be done in order to, let's say, crack the problem of natural language modeling. But these are definitely exciting times for AI and for deep learning practitioners. So every time I mention uh, neural network modeling, the most common question I get is about the number of architectures currently in the literature and the huge fragmentation that so many architectures are creating or have created so far. So I'd like to clarify this point. Despite plenty of different architectures of neural networks, there are basically two major families of neural models. that are the feed-forward networks and recurrent or recursive uh, models or networks. So feed-forward networks include networks with fully connected layers, such as the multi-layer perceptron, but also networks with convolutional and pooling layers. So in order to remember what a feed-forward network is, just imagine a network uh, with a layer that accepts uh, the same dimension of the input. So as you feed the network with an input data, 
the first layer that you are going to feed is going to be the, the, the same dimension of the data you are feeding. Then there are a number of layers that make the network more or less deep. And this can have a so-called hidden dimension or hidden size. So they can have different dimensions than the input. And then at the end, in the last layer, you have an output layer, which is exactly the same dimensions as your output data. So when you feed the network with uh, input-output pairs, you're basically self-tuning the network in its hidden layers, but the two layers at the two extremes, the input and the output, will stay the same. And of course, they must have the same dimensions of the input and the output. So recurrent and recursive networks can uh, work with the sequences and trees respectively. Now, this is history. Recurrent networks have been created by Elman uh, in 1990, and those are designed to model sequences of sequences of characters, sequences of words, or even uh, sequences of numbers, so like numeric sequences, even time series, for instance. While recursive networks, which have been created, well, invented by Goller uh, in 1996, are generalizations of recurrent networks that can handle trees. Uh, by trees, we mean, you know, think about dependency graphs for text parsing and language modeling. Both networks can contain also convolutional and pooling layers. So what is convolution? A convolution is a matrix operation that makes the network robust specifically against scaling, transforming or resizing, and therefore being more appropriate for uh, images and pixels. But convolutional and pooling architectures are showing promising results also on characters and words and tasks like document classification, of course, when enough data is provided. As a matter of fact, all the networks that are basically classifiers, right? So, of course, each with, uh, with different strengths and properties that make them more suitable for text, for sound, or for mixed data, but at the end, they are just classifiers. Now, without any doubt, the most important finding with uh, deep learning for natural language processing has been the concept of word embedding. So far, words have been represented in very high dimensional spaces, like one hot encoding, for instance, of, or bag of words, uh, generating very sparse feature vectors and definitely increasing the dimensionality of the problem, leading to computational complexity and, of course, shortage of memory. The key idea behind the neural approach is that they represent each word in a vocabulary with a dense vector of real numbers, so that similar words are forced to have similar vectors. Now, this is usually done by training the network on uh, large text datasets in a skipgram fashion, in which, for instance, the network is trained to predict each word given a bunch of previous words, and uh, this previous word usually represent the context. So this can be done just by scanning or reading digital books millions of times, and there is plenty of data out there ready to be analyzed in that way. After some hours of computation, words that are similar will have similar numeric vectors. Now, of course, word similarity is very hard to define and is usually task dependent. So what does it mean similar? Are two words similar because they have similar characters or maybe they have the same or similar length or similar meaning? 
So the most common hypothesis uh, in this case is the so-called distributional hypothesis that states that words are similar if they appear in similar contexts. So by this definition, you can basically capture words that have similar semantic meaning, even though syntactically they are completely different. But no matter what the meaning of similarity is, word embedding reduces the dimensionality of the problem and reduces the memory footprint of a neural model, especially those with many layers, the so-called deep networks. With this said, it is important to mention the fact that neural networks can also fail in many different ways and in many scenarios. So here I will highlight just a number of, a limited number of uh, causes of failures of neural networks and deep learning more generally. So definitely, failure can occur during optimization. What is optimization? Optimization, which is usually referred to as the backpropagation algorithm, is minimizing the differences between the predicted output and the true output. So at the end of a training session, what you would like to do is to minimize as much as you can this difference. Minimize the error between what the network is predicting uh, and what, it, what is the true value uh, of that prediction. So during optimization, a network can fail for geometric reasons. Uh, for instance, local minima or saddle points that are very difficult to detect. So many practitioners have the tendency to use bigger or deeper networks, but that doesn't always help. As a remedy to the failure during optimization, using prior knowledge can still be important. Also, convolution operations can improve the geometry, not just sample complexity. Another um, remedy is about the update rule uh, during optimization. Usually, uh, people use um, stochastic gradient descent or gradient-based uh, operations. So, using updating rules that are different from just a gradient might also help. But another thing that helps is um, decomposing the problem and adding supervisions in between. Let me explain. Usually, a network is trained uh, in a fashion that is called end-to-end -end training. Basically, given an input and an output, the network will start self-tuning. In deep networks, end-to-end -end training can fail due to optimization problems, and therefore, one suggestion could be in decomposing the problem. So, breaking down the problem into several sub-problems, and therefore training and adding supervision in between until the last layer. Now, deep learning is great and has proved to work in uh, several domains, especially computer vision, but with this said, we still have to understand the limitations of deep learning. So, understanding the limitations may lead to better algorithms and better theoretical guarantees. There is a very nice paper on the archive. It's titled Failures of Deep Learning, which I really recommend. The last problem that many are overlooking is data availability. Now, deep learning in particular is a very data-hungry technology. Even the simplest deep learning-based model is a very complicated one, at least with respect to traditional machine learning models. And even the, the simplest network need a lot of data to, uh, to, to perform. 
So the problem is that data is expensive and uh, crawling data and pre-training deep learning models usually helps and can result effective in some cases. Another important aspect of data is about academic data sets. Now, academic data sets are usually perfectly balanced, and these are the data sets that researchers are using for benchmarking networks, and therefore compare a network with respect to what is already in the literature in order to uh, establish a new error rate, a new improvement, and eventually a new topology, a new architecture. Well, we have to be aware of the fact that academic data sets are ideal conditions. So they are usually perfectly balanced, they are usually clean, just for one simple reason, because researchers want to focus their attention and their resources in the deep learning model and not in the data. Unfortunately, in the real world, datasets are very messy, can be unbalanced, and actually usually are, and most of the time they are incomplete. If you think about the MNIST, which is the image data set used for evaluating uh, neural networks for computer vision, they usually, this data set contains always an equal number of samples per digit, uh, the digit from 0 to 9 uh, represented as images. Now, of course, this is hardly the case in uh, real image classification problems, in which you basically have very skewed, very unbalanced data sets. For instance, in finance, very few people are at risk of overdraft with respect to the entire population. And fortunately, very few people perform illegal actions of money laundering or other fraudulent activities with respect to the rest of the data set. And still, especially in those cases, artificial intelligence models should be capable of learning from very few examples and profiles. Now, this scenario definitely does not change in domains like healthcare, where, fortunately, I must say, very few individuals are affected by disorders or diseases with respect to the rest of the population. And this, in turn, puts more challenges to a deep learning medical image classifier, for instance. So the direct consequence of dealing with challenging problems is having a model that makes mistakes in the form of false positives, and false negatives. The false positives are usually referred to as false alarms, and false negatives are missed signals. Again, in finance, this might mean missing a fraudulent activity or stopping a payment due to a false alarm. Now, both these scenarios, I must say, are expensive for a bank and definitely annoying to the end user. But these are the real problems that researchers have to deal with complex models with uh, like deep learning. So my take home message is not to get fooled by the complexity of fancy models. Increasing complexity is not always a silver bullet against complex problems. Many times it's actually not. And even in the realm of deep learning, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening.